The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 10. The next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in the city of the Jews, Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. 
God, we thank you for your word. I have a quote here, and I want you to maybe ponder in your head, who said this? The physical difference between white and black races will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. I am not, nor have ever been, in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. Who said that? Abraham Lincoln. Before the horror of the Civil War, I pray, changed his mind. Notice the last phrase he says, as much as any other man having the superior position. You know, I'm assuming he's meaning the white man is the any other man he's talking about. Friends, we all play favorites. And we all are the victim or the victors of favoritism. Regularly at the dinner table, I hear this question, Dad, who's your favorite son? At the hospital cafeteria yesterday, I was next in line as the person before me of the same race as the server was given an ample portion of fish. And when I asked for the same, I was given half the amount. Favoritism. It's all over the place. And I want to ask you this question. I want you to look over some of the troubles in your life right now. Some of the struggles you're having in your life right now. And I want you to ask the question, how much of what I'm dealing with right now is the result of favoritism? Maybe you're the victim of it. You were the one last picked because you were scrawny or you were overweight. Maybe you were the one that was overlooked because you were quiet. Maybe you were ignored because your parents were disappointed. You were nothing like your older sister. Maybe you were the victim of favoritism. Maybe you're the victor of favoritism. You have the job you have because you knew someone on the inside. No one ever says no to you because you have charisma or you have charm or you have good looks. Maybe you're the victor of favoritism. The brokenness behind favoritism is self-interest. The reason favoritism exists and the reason we play favorites is because we're favoring what that person can do to put ourselves in a favorable position, right? That's why we play favorites. My brother, he's a teacher in the public schools. And the sad state of things right now is he cannot fail a student for cheating anymore. Because the student he was trying to fail because they're regularly cheating is a star athlete destined to bring the school's team to state victory. And this person has multiple D1 offers. Do not fail them. Favoritism. We're all guilty of it. But friends, what would it mean to know that there is only one who's not guilty of it. God himself. This is, this is hard for us to believe, particularly when we look at the Old Testament. And we would see language in the Old Testament of God having a chosen people, right? In the Old Testament, the Lord gives command in Deuteronomy for his people to be set apart or circumcised as the people of his own possession. Sounds very much like favoritism, doesn't it? 
He says this, the Lord set in his heart the love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Sounds a bit like Lincoln's quote, doesn't it? But then, just a verse later in Deuteronomy 10, 17, he says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial, who doesn't play favorites. How do we put these two phrases, you above all peoples and a God who is not partial? How do we put those two together? Well, one of the things that you see in the Old Testament when the Jews are described is the reason God chose them is not because they're special. It's because they're small. It's because they're uh, like unnoticeable and unnoteworthy. I'm going to choose these people to show the world that I don't show favoritism because who would choose these people, right? That's what God is doing. But the Jewish people believed as a result of a misinterpretation of these passages, that they were God's favorite kids. And it affected their view of the rest of the world called the Goyim. We talked about last week, the nations. And hopefully, sometimes when you come in the morning to worship and you open your worship guide, you read a quote. Hopefully, if some of you read that first quote in there, that you were offended. That was my hope. It was a sentiment written by an influential Jewish leader named Ovadia Yosef. And this is what he says. Goyim, any nation outside of the Jews, were born only to serve us. Without that, they have no place in the world. Only to serve the people of Israel. Why are Gentiles needed? They will work, they will plow, they will reap, and we will sit like a master and eat. That's why the Goyim, that's why the Gentiles were created, to serve us. But before you play favorites and cancel him in the camp of enemy, see that quote as a mirror, friends. How are you living in a similar manner? How do you play favorites? Who is your Goyim to serve you? Are your friends your friends because they serve you? Is your family there to serve you? Is your church there to serve you? Are your co-workers there to serve you? Or even your children there to serve you? We do it all the time. And if God does not play favorites, then guess what? His judgment against Ovadia's guilt is also his judgment against our guilt. The original audience of the book of Acts were both Gentiles and Jews, and the Jewish people needed to know God's character is one of not playing favorites. Why do they need to know this? So that they could see that the acts of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, is for all nations, not just one. It's easier for us to look back on Peter and kind of scorn him and his circumcised Jewish friends for being so narrow. God was gracious to show Peter and teach Peter his nature and God's posture toward all the nations. And may he be gracious to do that with us today. Because if Christians lived as if God didn't play favorites, then the church could be a far more hospitable place. Let me say that again. If the church lived as if God didn't play favorites, then the church could be a far more hospitable place. And my prayer for all of us here is that all Saints Presbyterian Church 
would live up to its God-given first name. Because Jesus' forgiveness is for all. So we need to be schooled in God's character of impartiality. What does God need to teach us through this passage to be a reflection of him, of not playing favorites? Today's passage provides us with three lessons, three rules for impartiality. I'll start with rule number one. I stole it a little bit from Dr. Seuss. A human is a human. Yeah, a human is a human. I changed it, and we're all really small. Verses 23 to 33. A human is a human, and we're all really small compared to the Lord. This is the first rule of faith. Peter had been operating as if the Jewish people, the chosen race, were the preferred race for God's grace. They were gracists, forgetting that the reality that every human being from the beginning of time bears the image of God. We reflect his handiwork. Peter was shown, as he says in verse 28, an image by God of this mixed tablecloth of clean and unclean animals for Peter to eat. And he was shown it three times, which says to us that it had to get dug down into his head. And it was fitting that this image involved animals because that's how Goyim, that's how the nations were viewed. They were viewed as less than human to the Jews. They were considered dogs or animals. But the Lord disciplines Peter after he refuses to eat of the unclean animals, to never call any person common or unclean that God makes clean. And you can see Peter learning and applying his lesson as Cornelius bows down and tries to worship him. He corrects this military man who understands rank and who believes Peter is of a really high rank, that he's just a man. He grabs Cornelius' hand and says, stand up, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a human too. A human is a human, and we're all really small. There's a level playing field. Peter then walks in to see a crowd of Cornelius' Gentile friends, probably from a bunch of different nations, sitting waiting to hear from this important commander of God. And Peter says, you know how, you know how illegal it is that I'm here right now? You know how unlawful it is that I'm in this place? But he steps through the doorway. He breaks the human laws of Jew and Gentile, of slave and free, of white and black drinking fountains. And he breaks it and he drinks from the Gentile fountain by stepping into their home. The way in which the Lord disciplines Peter is the way he disciplines us, showing us in the presence of the Lord that we are all very, 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 very small. And that we're all very, 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 very guilty and if God shows no favoritism as a judge and Lord, then we're all subject to his punishment and anger over our wanting it our way instead of his way. But good news, our pleas for mercy from God are equally heard. Peter was heard weeping after denying his friend three times and was restored. And God heard Cornelius praying and in three ways had Peter stand in front of him, had Peter enter into his home, and had Peter speak to him. I love one story in the Gospels of Jesus encountering a Gentile woman while he's having dinner. And she comes to this Jewish carpenter testing the character of God. Does he really not play favorites? 
this woman, this goyim, has been annoying the apostles to no end. And she finally gets an audience with Jesus. She finally gets in there and they're like, oh my goodness, she is just bugging us. She is not leaving us alone. She finally gets in front of Jesus. She gets on her knees and she says to him, please heal my daughter. She's demon-possessed. And Jesus, in his playful manner, responds to her with this. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And her faith in a God who regards even the smallest human being having value says to him, Yes, Jesus. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master table. And Jesus turns to her and smiles at her and answers her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She believed that God did not show partiality. Friends, who are you not seeing? Because in your favoritism eyes, that person is too small for you. Open our eyes, Lord. A human is a human, and next to God, we're all really small. Rule number two, Jesus the Lord offers pardon to all. Verses 34 to 43. So Peter is sitting before an audience who's asked by Cornelius, who's a commander of a Roman army, to be given a command. They're all waiting for his command, they say. So Peter opens his mouth and shares the gospel to the willing Gentile hearers. And if we watch Peter for a second, let's let's learn about sharing the gospel with how Peter shares the gospel. How does he start? He starts with a confession of sin. He's like, truly I now understand that God doesn't play favorites. He's like, I'm just telling you first and foremost, I was messed up in my thinking. So he starts with a confession of sin. And he says, but in every nation, all nations, anyone who fears God, meaning to have a posture as small and humble before a powerful and awesome God, And who does what is right, meaning to walk in the way God commands, which is faith in Jesus Christ as our righteousness, that person is acceptable, welcomed, received by God. And Peter then proclaims the mystery of faith, stating that Christ has lived among sinners. And you all knew that. You all knew that. Christ has died on behalf of guilty sinners. I think you all knew that. But Christ has been risen, which none of you have seen. Why did Jesus only show himself to Jewish believers on his resurrection? Why was he exclusive? Again, was he playing favorites? No. Because he showed himself to Jewish believers because they're called to take the gospel to the nations. These little people... We're called to bring good news to all people. The good news that from the beginning of the prophets, verse 43 said, the Jewish people were a special people, not because they were above others. No, they were little, but rather that they were the people who were to usher Jesus into the earth. Through their family line, Jesus would come. And he is the only one who's truly above all. He's the only one that God should play favorites with. And this Jesus will come again, he says, to judge all people, Jew and Gentile, living and dead. 
but to anyone, everyone who believes, who trusts, who embraces that Jesus is both an impartial judge, we're deserving of punishment, but he also serves as a merciful jury and being the guilty defendant, taking on our sin for us. There is forgiveness, there's washing, there's cleansing of uncleanness through his name, he says. Through his name, which means all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. That's what it means to say through his name. One of my favorite scenes in a movie, it's an old film, I'm Dating Myself. It's called Dead Man Walking is the name of the movie. It's, I think it came out in the 90s. It's a true story though of a nun who received a letter from a convicted con and rapist, Matthew Ponsolet, and he's on death row. And everyone tells this woman that she's crazy for sitting with the scum of the earth week after week. She's rejected by people for doing this, for stepping into this prison and meeting with this monster. She's exhausted because it's hard work, and he's not making it easy for her at all. She can't get him to admit his guilt that's only the Holy Spirit's job. But it's just moments before his execution when he's going to stand before the Lord and judge of the living and the dead that he breaks. Finally, after weeks of meeting with this well-guarded animal and offering the peace and love of Jesus, he breaks down and weeps and admits to murdering and raping these people. It's based on a true story, by the way. And she says to him, do you take responsibility for your actions? There's the fear of the Lord. Do you take responsibility for what you've done? And he's like, yes, ma'am, I do. And then she responds through the bars. You just see her face come through the bars. There are spaces of sorrow only God can touch. You did a terrible thing, Matthew, a terrible thing. But you have dignity now. As she describes the forgiveness of Christ that's his. Nobody can take that dignity away from you, Matthew. You are a son of God, Matthew. And he marvels at the grace that's been shown him. And he's like, nobody ever called me no son of God before. Called me a son of a you-know-what lots of times, but never no son of God. This is the gospel offer of Jesus to all nations. Equally, to all people, all levels of guilt, equally, peace with God through the name of Jesus Christ. We cannot refuse this offer of peace to anyone. Friends, if you're wondering how this is done in beginning to share the good news of Christ, all you have to start with is saying, do you fear God? Are you a God-fearer? If you hear no, keep walking. You, you, yeah, yeah, I respect God. Do you know you're going to stand before him? I'm going to stand before him. Do you want to stand before him with peace? With assurance? Not in terror, but with a smile? And then offer them Jesus' perfect life, substituting death and resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit can adopt you. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. How are we doing at opening our mouth to, to preach Christ's offer of peace to all nations, to all people? It doesn't end there. Last thing, verses 44 to 48. Rule number three. 
as a human is a human, and we're all really small, Jesus the Lord offers pardon to all, then the church becomes a hospitality waterfall. I would love it if while I were preaching that people would start visibly responding with spirit-led praise. That's what happens to Peter. Peter doesn't even finish his sermon, and the people are singing in many languages the praises of God. The Spirit is coming upon a person, and these people. It's not always this obvious as it is in Acts 10. But the reason it's obvious here is that Peter and his circumcised Jewish witnesses need to see and be blown away by the fact that the gospel of Jesus is for every people group on earth. They have to see it and know it for sure and for certain. And that's why God is making it very obvious in the speaking of tongues and in the praising of God. God shows no favoritism and they're amazed. And the church becomes a hospitality waterfall as Peter looks around at the evidence of what he's seeing around him. And like in a courtroom, he says, does anyone see any reason why these people should not be baptized? Because the hospitality waterfall is the tangible, visible sign of the Spirit's presence. What is that visible sign? Baptism. A cleansing with water. Cornelius and all his family and all his friends are washed with water, marking the welcome of these goyim, these dirty animals, to the table. Men, women, children dumped with water, turning into the visible people and family of God. This is who this is. The Passover table, once marked with Jews only, now says, open to all, Jew and Gentile. The circumcision of the male heads of family, marked Jews only, was replaced with the washing of water and the baptism of saints. We take hospitality really seriously here at All Saints. It's the biggest part of our budget because we believe hospitality to be the way in which lonely people in the world get a taste of a welcoming king. We baptize children here at All Saints because it would be odd to think that these recipients, these little recipients of the good news of Jesus, not be a visible part of our church body, hospitality waterfall. We have a four-Sunday feast not to just sit with the people we know or the people we prefer, but to welcome foreigners and foes to the table. We have small groups called table groups to invite the watching world to hear the good news that they don't have to clean their hands in order to come. They just need to confess that only Christ can do that. I want our church, we want our church to grow in hospitality that we would not be afraid to welcome the least of the world to the table. We want more dead people walking in the peace and forgiveness of Jesus because the church The body of Christ is a reflection of their head, Jesus. And if God shows zero partiality in welcoming to the table those who fear God and walk in his Son, the way of Christ, then nor should we. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about this prayer that we would grow in hospitality and grow in people coming to an understanding of who Jesus is. And I love that we baptize children, but as we were meeting as a session last week, one of our elders said, I would love to see more adults baptized. And I was telling this friend, I was like, I have a desire 
Hopefully it's not a selfish desire. I want to baptize an adult who's come to faith in Jesus. I want to lock eyes with him. And I said, I picked a random name. I said, I want to lock eyes with James. And I want to say, James, you were dead. And now Christ has made you alive. And my friend responded gently with a hope. He said, I can't wait to meet James. I can't either. Lord, help us to live up to our first name all. That this church looks more and more like a God who doesn't play favorites. Let your Holy Spirit fall. And the baptism, baptism waters follow after it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've called us Gentiles to the table. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes as Christians to not just be at the table of Christians, but to go out into the world and be guests at other people's tables, to invite them into our home, to invite them into our friendship table. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would then do a work to bring them into the Lord's table, to the family table. We can't do that. We can only do the first two. You can do the third. So for James, or for any other name that we can think of, whether it's a coworker, a family member, a friend who's lost and lonely, and who's sitting waiting, maybe even in fear of God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring peace, the forgiveness of Christ offered to them, and the hope that they can stand before God and walk in righteous only because of Jesus. Those people are acceptable to you wherever they come from. I pray this in Christ's name.